Uh, my father's from Ghana. My mom is American, but her parents come from an Irish and Italian tradition. So there's loads of music from the time I was really little. But as you can see, like I don't sit squarely in engineering. If you were to meet me and then read my bio, you're like, engineering what? It's not, it's all, it's beautiful and lyrical to talk about it. But actually when you have, you know, folks who don't speak each other's language, it can be really, really challenging. It don't mean a thing. It, it, All right, welcome to another great episode of the Dre and Smiley podcast, The Inner Circle. We have another great guest with us today. Hello, I'm most excited to introduce Dr. Karina Kwame. Described as a modern Renaissance woman, Karina Kwame is a musician on stage and screen. She has performed in countries across the Americas, Europe, Africa, and Asia with her projects, Karina Kwame Quartet, Jazz Age Dance Bands, and Pangea, as well as featured musicians with projects such as Wildcard, Down for the Count, and more. Born in New Jersey, USA, to a Ghanaian and Irish family, her inspirations in jazz is flavored with influences such as stride piano, West African high life, Irish folk music, and soul. She is motivated by the storytelling power of jazz and its potential for connecting people across cultures. Karina's extended work also includes contributions from the arts to innovation, future cities, and sustainability. Sustainability. As a recognized thought leader with a PhD, she has a deepened pedagogy in bridging the arts and sciences in order to facilitate exchanges between these worlds. You can see her face as I saw her face on the Discovery Channel and the Science Channel. She lives in London. Dr. Karina, that's fascinating. What you've done, I, I, I was telling Andre just quickly, I'm, I go into my hotel room in, in Utah, I turn on the Discovery Channel, and then I see you talking about cities and different things, and I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And then I said, I should have gotten her name. Then the next episode, you were on it again. So I said, wow, this is amazing. So first, first question is, how do you do it all? When do you sleep? That is such a good question after this week. I have to say, this has been one of those weeks where actually this morning I had like a, you know, five minute coffee, just like, just, just holding the cup. Like, this is all we're doing. This is all that matters right now. Um, but I actually have to say those pieces that you've been, that you've mentioned, especially the Discovery Channel, the the gigs, um, really having conversations like this to think about ways that we can bridge the arts and sciences. Those things give me so much energy. So I often think about how do we, you know, create a balance of activities that bring us energy, as opposed to just thinking about like how we manage our time. And don't get me wrong, like. You need to look after yourself. You cannot burn the candle at both ends. It's not a recipe for success for anyone. Um, but if you think about, you know, the course of a day or a week, like how much of the stuff you're doing is actually getting you excited for what's coming next. And so say so that's been really important. I think also I just watched the film Babylon and I don't know if you've seen it. It's Damien Chazelle's new film. And you know, for anyone who's in the arts or music, um, it really, really speaks 
to home, just also about so many themes. But one of the ones I want to talk about today is, you know, knowing, knowing when you have a good run um, and also being okay when things change. Like, you know, what I was doing even five years ago, you know, with the pandemic or without it, like has, has changed. So I would say, I probably don't feel like I'm as spread across so many different things. It's actually, you know, the last couple of years have been really cool to just hone in on a few projects for a bounded period of time and then be happy to, to let it go and do something else. So I would say that's definitely the secret. And, you know, because I think music and dance are so rooted in movement, that also for me you know, gives so much energy. That's awesome. When you when you were talking on the Discovery Channel or the Science Channel about the sustainability, can you explore or expound a little bit about your your academic background before we move into the the creative dance type uh, singing background? Yeah, definitely. And I would say just as like a, a teaser is that the music and dance didn't just sort of show up later. It's always been in the background, like like this piano behind me. Um, and I would say in the background, the way I grew up with my my parents, uh, my father's from Ghana, my mom is American, but her parents come from an Irish and Italian tradition. So there's loads of music from the time I was really little um, in the house. And then I studied piano for many years, actually, actually, since I was about eight. So it's always been the backdrop, but I like to say growing up in, a, in an immigrant household, you know, there are a couple of professions that, you know, probably Jeannie Asheray, I think the great comedian has always said, it's like, you know, doctor, lawyer, disgrace to the family. And there's maybe a few other adjacent ones that are okay. And not to paint a picture that my parents pushed me in that direction. But I think even as the kid of immigrants and growing up, you do feel like you need to bring that stability because everyone before you has you know gone through so many different pathways to just get where you are. Um, so I, I managed to you know, have the arts as a huge part of my life. And then my mom's a nurse, my dad's an engineer. I kind of work on public health and sustainability. So it's a pretty good marriage between the two. Um, but I have to say, when I was growing up, I went to you know, a small Christian school um, in New Jersey till I was about 14, 15. And then I went to a boarding school. I was a day student, but it was a boarding school where it wasn't abnormal to have folks who really excelled in the sciences also be in theater or folks who were really good at math, but also doing music. Um, so I just feel really fortunate that, you know, not only was my family background really something to, you know, um, nurture those interests, but my, my high school was awesome for that as the Pennington school. Um, I'll come back to the science channel and actually answer your question. But the the piece about you know, even university, I went to Georgetown and there's a lot of things about that school that I that I really, you know, cherish. The big thing I think is care for the whole person and really knowing you know, anything we do, whether it's science, whether it's arts, it has to be in the service of others. So that for me kind of just set a really nice foundation that when I went into the real world, quote unquote, like started working and I was like, wait, this isn't how like the world works. So you kind of have to pick a path. And I'll talk a bit about, you know, being overseas and just seeing how different education systems work. But that being said, I, during high school, you know, I was, I loved school. I have to say I was absolute nerd. Like people would ask me what I want to do. I was like, I just want to study. Like I really, really loved the practice. of studying. <laughs> and I actually would find that question so 
paralyzing as like a senior. I was like, I don't know. I just want to go to a good school and have good teachers and really like, you just keep doing this because this is fun. Um, I remember my grandfather and my uncle even saying like, well, how do you want to work? Like, you know, like don't, don't get old. Like just keep, you know, being excited about what you're learning. Um, but I found, you know, when I was going to university, it was, um, I got an early decision to go to Georgetown. And I remember thinking, okay, it's in the city. It's super international. The program I was in was like um, the School of Foreign Service. So I knew I was going to be able to study language. I knew I was going to be able to study the arts. I knew I was going to study politics. But then also really, you know, just have access to like different people from around the world. And honestly, like that was my decision making process. <laughs> Um, so when I got there, I, I found, you know, quickly realizing most folks who go to study in that program, you know, think they want to be a diplomat. And then you start seeing what that world could look like. And not to say I wouldn't, I never would want to do that, but it became really apparent that a lot of the, the problems that we were trying to solve, and this is like back in the early 2000s, so we, well, mid 2000s. So we had the economic crash. There was Hurricane Katrina had happened a couple of years before. Like there were just some of these massive problems that you would see and i really didn't think that you know without the sciences you could help solve it and then also without you know conversations you know people skills you couldn't actually tackle those issues so again this is me looking back you know maybe 15 years later but at the time i was like you know i just want to get my hands dirty i want to be on the ground helping just whatever i can do um so i got a really great opportunity to work in public health um that was really about you know, thinking about the places where people live where they work where they play how do you fix that so that we're not just treating people when they get sick but actually thinking about the environments where they live so i would say that that was my first entry point into the sciences but through sort of a social um a social science lens um through that i'd worked you know and i got to work in rwanda i got to work at some it was some incredible people who really really inspired me um to not only you know pursue that path through public health, but really get to work with engineers. And for me, it was like you know the foundation, foundations, the infrastructure that we need for all this stuff to happen. This this is really something that you know the engineering profession has has contributed to. But as you can see, like I don't sit squarely in engineering. If you mm -hmm. were to meet me and then read my bio, you're like engineering what? Yeah. I was surprised because. Like, First, I typed your name in, and then I saw all your music stuff in your YouTube. Then I had to go back to the, to the TV to make sure I would have the right like, person. Who is this person? Like <laughs> <laughs> so tell me this. Um, as you shared what you shared just a moment ago, yeah. I, I, I picked up on a piece of a number of connections um, that, that I can relate to. So I, I lived in Liberia for a while. Oh, and wow. uh, in terms of that, you, you mentioned the different education systems and how you know I lived there and I lived here and went to school here as well. There's definitely a distinct difference. I can appreciate that. My brother-in-law is Ghanaian. And one of the things that uh, I love when we hang out together is uh, he, he reminds me of what life was like living in West Africa with mm. um, either all types of things he shares with me. Like, and just, and it's just casual conversation, whether it's um, little uh, stories he tells. He's a great storyteller. Uh, I'm sure he gets on my sister's nerves, but I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I love the stories. Uh, and then you know he, he cooks like he cooks like you know your, your typical uh, West West African meals, and I, I love that. So, but here, here's a question for you. Yeah. Um, you mentioned having a good run and knowing when to make the pivot, things like that. 
So, so let's talk about that a bit and we'll dive deeper into, into you as a person as well after this, yeah. but that's something that's important to recognize, but I don't know that we know how to recognize when we've had a good run and when to make that pivot. Yeah. Oh gosh. That's such a, and I have to say this film, I'm still processing, you know, there's so many themes in that film and I, I think part of it is recognizing it in the present when you're having a really good run. And I think anyone in the arts or actually any sector, but definitely in creatives, there's always a sentiment of like, you know, you're not doing enough um, that, you know, you're always chasing the next gig or the next performance, the next TV show. And you need that. Don't get me wrong. Like you need that momentum. You need that hustle. You need that grit because there's 20 other people who want to do the same thing. Mm. Um but also, I mean, there's some wonderful gigs where, or performances, or even just conversations like this, where, you know, even that act of just stopping and saying, this is really good. You know, I, I actually, am, in this moment, I don't really need anything else. And I, I say that actually a friend of mine was, um, my best friend was getting married and she had asked me to be, it'd be an MC, the MC for the, the reception. And I remember her dad's really dear friend saying, you know, one thing you should, you know, just keep in mind and just keep reminding your friend throughout the, the wedding is that, you know, go get your own drinks. Because as like, if you're in a big party and people are just bringing you drinks, like, you know, making, just making you feel like everything's taken care of, you actually never get that moment to yourself for a second to just look at the party and say, you know, this is really good. So it's that, I remember he said it, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to use this, you know, for the wedding, but I'm using this all the time, like, whether it's a party or a gig or just any moment where you're kind of surrounded by all the, all of the adventure. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, even, yeah. Just even if it's 10 seconds where you like literally go get your own drink or you get your coat and you just look at this, this environment or this, in French we say convivialité is like you know, this ambiance and just take that in. So I think that's like a huge just like pro tip we can do right away. is just like literally pause and say, this is really good. Um, mm. Because I think it's only in doing that, that not only do you relish what you have, but you're not trying to be nostalgic. Um, and again, I do, I when I'm even telling my story, looking back, I'm like, yeah, it's been really cool, but I don't like want to be back there necessarily. Mm. Like I think in like my early twenties, <laughs> running all directions just like yeah. job like and it was the economic crash so like nobody people were like oh are we even gonna work like this anymore and i, I reckon you know when the millennium happened people probably thought the same like is it all gonna change um and i remember like 2008 2009 being like you know the way that we think about jobs you know my parents my dad was in the same organization for over 30 years like that would have been unheard of you know, I think for even yeah. millennials or even folks, you know, born in the 70s, 80s. Sure. So that's one thing. I also feel like um, getting ready to, not getting ready, but continuously mentoring, maybe the mentor is even too strong, like making sure that the folks coming after you, that you're part of that story as well. Because I do find, mm. yes, yeah, creatives, and I keep saying creatives, but even in, in engineering or any profession, you tend to surround yourself not just with people who are like you, but peers in your generation. And there's this thing, even like Gen Z, Gen Alpha, where like we act like they're so far removed from what we're doing. But in music, I mean, I see them coming up and I'm like, wow, I gotta like get my, I gotta stay in the game. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's, I think that's yeah. good. I think it's really good. So one thing as a musician is like trying not just to play with people from all over, but also just mm. cross generations. And I mean, just hearing you talk about Liberia and your your brother-in-law, I think there's just an intergenerational dialogue that is so much more, I wouldn't say natural, but so much more built into the way people and societies interact. And I don't know if it's just living in big cities, you tend to, if, you, if you're not careful, you could easily only see people within you know, five years old or 10 years younger than you. And I think that right. that also gives you, you know, it makes your world very small. Whereas if I sure. you know, have folks play with musicians who are in their seventies, actually a dear friend mm-hmm. of mine passed away before the pandemic, who was in his nineties. And like he played, he learned how to dance like swing dances, like Lindy Hop when the American soldiers were based in London after World wow. War II. Like, wow. so his span of even learning this music was like 60 years. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, embracing playing, embracing dancing, when you couldn't do some of those things at the same caliber, like, you know, finding other ways to still have that passion, but just, you know, knowing that it's not going to be the same. So I don't know if that helps, but I, I do feel like that, that's given me some comfort too. It's a bit like... <laughs> Not touring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so a couple of takeaways I, I've gotten mm. from what you just shared is that one is pause and, and appreciate yeah. what you've completed, which you've totally, yeah. Right? And I think um, even... oh, go ahead. No. And I was just saying, another, another big takeaway from what you shared, and tell me if I capture this correctly, is mm. always stay in the game in some capacity. Uh, you mentioned the gentleman, the, the older gentleman, John that died, Barnes. Uh, yeah. John Barnes. Yes, John. My, Barnes. My, John Barnes. My guess is that he just really had a strong passion mm. for the arts, and that's what kind of kept him relevant yeah. and, and, and sharp in his craft. So an, another follow-up question for you is, so you have a hand in two different arenas, right? Engineering yeah. and the arts. How do you separate the two? Or is one kind of your primary source, source of yeah. happiness? Oh, I love this question. This is like my, you know, and I wouldn't say goals for 2023, but um, I think the cool thing about sort of your question and then just what we were talking about before is like recognizing when you're having a good run and being ready for the next chapter, or at least knowing that, you know, the next chapter is coming is a bit of how I got into the science communication space. And I, maybe I shouldn't even say this as space, but basically how Discovery Science Channel Smithsonian came about was for me really, you know, I'd, I'd spent time in academia um, working on cities and the engineering faculty at UCL and really thinking about how do we tackle some of these big challenges around water, knowing that that infrastructure is so essential before we even try to build you know, spaces for entrepreneurs, for creatives, et cetera. And the thing is, I knew even as I was finishing my doctorate that I probably wasn't going to be staying in, in academia exclusively. Um, and for ways to really, you know, as I started exploring, I was finding, you know, there's a huge gap. There's like a, in science and engineering, there's a real need for people who can communicate and literally tell the story of science in a way that resonates with are with audiences. Again, pre-COVID, even around climate, there's just there was a huge like surge of not just mis and disinformation around science, but people just not interested. You know, or at least it's not in a like compelling way that gets you excited. Like when I learned about, you know, the history of the aqueducts in Rome, about how like the ancients in Egypt built these things, I my mind was blown. But I know that if you were just to 
take an engineering textbook to explain <laughs> like how they built the pyramids or how they built the aqueducts, it might not be the thing that you're excited to read. So again, I think really thinking about storytelling in science was how I was able to, you know, I wouldn't say leave science, but really move out of say a chapter around academia into really like, how are we talking to audiences about what what's important? And for me, that's exactly what musicians are trying to do and wrestling with. So for me, that's a natural bridge between those two worlds. Like, how do you tell stories like we're doing now? You know, how do we bring in some of those intergenerational conversations as part of the story? It's not just me narrating. It's, it's how we're interacting. Um, for jazz musicians, it's also like, how are we listening and calling and responding to one another? Right. And so that's a natural bridge. Now, the practical mm -hmm. question is like, how, where does it get confusing? Um, and I do mm. say like not understanding the language of both really well is a huge barrier. And I, I've worked with this incredible, you know, iconic tap dancer named, named Heather Cornell. And she does a lot of thinking just about how we do collaboration, how we speak across disciplines, how we speak across art forms. Um, and that's been a real process. And the process itself is messy. I think that's just a name. It's like when it's not, it's all, it's beautiful and lyrical to talk about it. But actually when you have, you know, folks who don't speak each other's language, it can be really, really challenging. Um, sure. So I would say, you know, in terms of the discovery channel, science channel, that's for me, like where I've taken some of the practice of being a musician and how I tell stories around science. Um, there's another innovation lab called Unleash, and they I've worked with them and partner, collaborated with them for many years. And they bring together you know, d um, entrepreneurs, academics, artists, you know, different different folks together to tackle the big sustainable development challenges. So whether it's water, mm. climate action. And they actually, they had invited me to come and literally just talk about jazz and talk about how you know, someone like Duke Ellington was not only a great entrepreneur, but also you know, a musician who was able to navigate, you know, near over five decades um, of, of lots of change in the music industry. And that was really to get them thinking, you know, not only are you brought together to work together, but there are things that we can learn from the arts and sciences. So I try to find ways where those bridges feel really natural and also be, you know, gentle when those languages aren't really understood by both sides. Mm. Um, and I say gentle as in, you know, just listen. You know, mm. I think when I first started doing the, the, the science programs, I would just watch, you know, how other people have spoken about really complex issues. There's wonderful group at UCL would do like science comedy. So I got involved with that for a little bit just to see like, how can you make it funny and like also speak to the scientists in a way that gets them jazz, gets mm -hmm. them excited to speak to the public. Um, and so that's really evolved. But now I think of it more as like, what does my audience need to get this? Mm. And then how do I you know, think about that? Um, right. So yeah, that's that's definitely it's a work in progress for for lack of a better word. But sure, um, yeah, yeah. One of the key things you mentioned that uh, makes sense to me is that understanding the audience, right? Um, whether it's you know in the arts or whether it's um, in your area of you know engineering, understanding what your audience needs and speaking using your your words language, speaking their language, yeah. right? So I, I used to DJ and that's one of the things I always enjoyed is like kind of being able to read the room and I've leveraged that in other areas of my life outside mm. of music. In terms reading of, the room, know, writing it down. Yeah, yeah, reading the room and, and being able to 
you know, speak the language. You know, if you're speaking to engineers, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Smiley and I have talked about this, you know, generally speaking, they want the details, the numbers, things like that. Um, and realizing that allow, allows your message to come across better. Uh, a follow-up question for you. So, yeah. and I'll pass it over to Smiley. Sustainability. So, um, yes. for someone like myself, you know, I have a general sense of what it is. Uh, what is sustainability and why is it important? Well, that's such a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I could say we could probably have a big debate. Um, so I'll, I'll make it very personal on what does it mean for okay. me. Um, okay. And I like to think of it in three parts, like planet, society, stroke people, um, and purpose. And I think, you know, I say planet because this is where the sense of all of what you know, what is beyond any one individual person or any one individual creature. So our environment, you know, would even go further if we want to talk about space and the universe. Um, but they have to define that. I think people in society, obviously, you know, brings in culture, social dynamics, all these different things, which are constantly in flux. And purpose is, is for me, like the direction of travel, like what's coming next. So I like to think of, of sustainability as, when those three things are in balance, we can have, you know, a, a planet that works for all. And I think that that is, it's really, it's, it's difficult because I think sustainability in some ways can just mean financial sustainability. If we talk about like financial health of your company, um, for me, it has to have those three things in mind in order to have environmental, social um, balance. And we, I, I worked with, a, when I was doing my doctorate, the program was actually livable cities. And so thinking about planetary and social well-being and how do we design cities to be able to do that. Um, so you could think about, you know, circular economy. So how do we ensure that, you know, not only do we recycle, but do we reduce, do we reuse, and then like refine how we use resources. So if we do that in isolation from the people, or in isolation from what's, what are we preparing ourselves for coming next? Like the next pandemic, the next digital transformation. We need to be thinking about it in that way. So it's not a neat definition, but I, I wanted to share just some, some imagery that comes to mind when somebody says that word, knowing what, you know, how many debates there are about you know, what it is and what it's not. From, from the sustainability perspective, do you find that the views change drastically post-pandemic versus pre-pandemic. The reason why I asked it that way is it seemed like a lot of people didn't have that black swan consideration of a pandemic from a, a business perspective. I know it comes every hundred years, but it seemed like most of the world was caught off guard. So mm. from a sustainability, do you change it and now that livable city must have a pandemic component in it or yeah, involved? Well, it should definitely take it into account. And I would even say, to back to the definition, I really like the social determinants of health model, the WHO. Um, and it's a, ser- it's a series of determinants, essentially principles that we should be considering so that the places where people live, work, and play are actually fit for today and for the future. So what's your question in terms of the pandemic? I don't know. I feel like the pa- if we talk about cities, like the narrative before the pandemic was like, you know, cities are the future. 
this is where we can have really compact, coordinated, connected growth. So compact in, in terms of like we can have more people in a smaller space. So that is that is a more sustainable use of, of, of land. In terms of compact, we're really thinking like how do we um, – yeah, it's a compact coordinate. Yeah, sorry, I already said compact, but coordinated. In other words, all the different systems in the city that work in parallel or together. So I think as an engineer, you think there's a lot of things happening underground, water, electricity, broadband. You know, those have to be coordinated or things don't work. But when it's done well, you know, we can actually do a lot in a very small space of, um, of area. And then co connected, you know, transport, co connectivity, you know, bringing in bright minds, all those things in a high, like hyper diverse areas have that activity. But I think after the, during and after the pandemic, it was the narrative was actually, you know, cities are good, but they're not the, the center of attention. And we saw that with people leaving the city. Um, but what I thought would have been like more of a permanent shift is now people are going back. So I do wonder if it's less about what we thought and what we what we thought and what we left behind and what was coming now, I think it's more about you know, what are the pieces of both that we're trying to, to keep. So when I say pieces of both, it's like there are aspects of like better appreciation for green space. I think that was like, you know, a huge, I think there's definitely equity dynamics, a sense of like, not everyone can work from home. Like this is not, you know, this is not the narrative, the dominant narrative. It is possible for some, but it, it really, it wasn't even for, for many during the pandemic. So I, I think mm -hmm. there's an equity discussion too, of like, who's, who's, who's benefiting from you know, these new shifts in sustainability and who's being left behind. I think right. is really important to underscore. Um, but yeah, I think there's greater attention to the importance of community, to connection. Um, and I think that is a direction of travel or a purpose that I, I want us to see embracing more. Um, because even if we don't have a pandemic, this greater um, sense that there's more activity in a metaverse or in a digital space is, is important. And we're doing that now. Like this, this conversation, I'm already feeling hyper connected. Um, but I do feel like, you know, I hope that that doesn't replace, you know, communities gathering or people coming together and that that for me is something i'm still wrestling with as an engineer who designs these sort of things and then also as a musician who's like live music we can't reflect it so i yeah there's a lot of things that this question has has come up has brought up for me well, from your say you are you in london now or are you in the states i'm in london yeah i want to tell you you're our first international speaker so thank what? you <laughs> I mean, you can take the jersey out of the good jersey girl out of jersey, but you can't take the jersey girl. I'm still, <laughs> I'm loving, but jersey girl. Um, well, the, the, the follow up is from your vast travels, mm. if you were to place these cities that you've seen and even the ones you worked on on a sustainability scale, one to 10, which one would you say is at the, the highest or maybe the closest to 10? Is it Japan? Is it Ghana? Is it Senegal? Is it London? Is it the Netherlands? Is it Ireland? Or even Jersey? Rwanda. Rwanda. Rwanda Kigali. Oh, that's, God. That's like if you, if you said, you know what? I'm most proud of this town, this city, because they're adopting the people, the purpose, the planet. Now, nothing's 100%. Yeah. Going in the best direction versus... This other one, no, you guys are going backwards. No, don't stay there. 
Oh gosh! And, and a disclaimer: so no city feels like they were. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. From from what little you saw at the moment, you didn't see the entire city. So there may have been other cities, but from what you saw, yeah, you, you don't saw. have to say the negative. Just whichever one is yeah. the advance. Oh wow! This is it's good. I think I'll say from like a very personal perspective so that no one feels. I, I the thing is that when I first moved abroad and I was first working as like I don't say adult. I don't feel like, like I'm an adult, but. Anyway, when I, <laughs> I lived in Geneva and I really liked like I was the international piece of it. Um, I thought for some of the problems, the big challenges in the world that we're trying to tackle, like you have some of the best minds brought together to do that. But I didn't feel like I, for me personally had, you know, I couldn't really flex into both of these spaces in the same way. So I thought that that was definitely something I could see and explore um, in a different city. And when I lived in Berlin, it kind of swung the other way. You had this hyper creative, you know, I, I mean, when I think about Berlin, I like want to take a nap and then also go dancing. It's like, it's just like this creative <laughs> space. And there's so much history as well that has been, you know, told the stories of, of Berlin are told in really fascinating ways because so much of the city was destroyed. So I think from a sense of, you know, how we tell our story. I felt Berlin really does that well and in an intriguing mm. way. Um, even prior to World War II, I mean, Berlin's history is just so rich. And the 20s in Berlin, I mean, you take, I mean, cabaret is just a tip of the iceberg that only gets you excited to learn more. But so much you know, innovation and like really forward thinking about social progress. So I think they did a, well, Geneva did a really great job of like bringing lots of different people together to tackle and think about the world's problems. I think Berlin really does a really good job at storytelling and imagery and like public monuments. I mean, there's some really, and radical thinking. I mean, I would say, I just want to go on a little bit of a tangent that, you know, I think for how Germans have wrestled with their own history and have you know made very public displays about how, how we can't forget what happened. Um, and there's like very serious laws. I mean, you cannot have, you know, statues of, of Nazi, you know, leaders. Mm. It's, 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 it's legal. I mean, and it's a very explicit, you know, decision and you can see it in the way that they, they, um, talk about and, and, um, reflect on what had happened in, in service of a greater future. Uh, one more tangent. And in Berlin, they're near the, the, I can't remember if it's, yeah, it's in the, it's in the center. There is this monument. And you, can, you, if you didn't know it was there, like you miss it. But there is in the center this um, hole, and you can see down as if like there's thousands of rows of books, and all the shelves are empty. So it's like these bookshelves that go Whoa. straight, and, and it just keeps going. And it's a monument wow. to like the books that had to be that were burned in in Berlin, yeah. um, well before the Nazis took power. So there was this whole. Like understanding of when we start burning books, like other worse things are going to come, and it's it is such a chilling monument. And I I, think, I always take people there to see it, and it's in the center of the city because everyone needs to see it. So it's not just for folks who would go and seek it out. Um, so I'll pause there. London for me, in terms of a city that has something for everyone, and I would say in terms of like subcultures and niche. Like, I mean, you could be in like a 1920s 
poetry slam or you could be like in an Afrobeats concert <laughs> in like a warehouse. But then there's all, it's just, I, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I would say all these cities and in particular London, maybe in New York as well, I think of it as a twin. Um, I think there's something we can do about how, how we cope with extremes. And I think that's what I was saying with, with cities. I'm like, I love London. I love New York. I do feel like, you know, you have so much for so many and then so many people don't have access to those things. Like I find that that is still the thing that gets me is like, how are people like homeless in a city that supposedly has something for everyone? And that, that to me is always a disparity that I have to name. So in terms of cities that are doing and thinking about that in, in novel ways, I think Montreal, um, mm. I think Amsterdam is, is, a, is a fascinating place. And again, you could go and I wish I could write a book about it, but just how cities have been able to navigate that. Because I, I do feel like in the future, like how we grapple with inequality, how we grapple with you know, what is actually like diversity in a city look like? Because I haven't seen a city that has really mastered it consistently over time. And that is hard. I mean, when I say master, it is like, if I think of, say, the social programs and social welfare mm -hmm. that you have in, say, you know, Denmark or Sweden or, or Norway, mm -hmm. that I think is, has been really inspiring. And there are aspects of those cities, particularly in Malmo and Sweden, where it is hyper-diverse. But you see a lot of these really, really progressive policies in places that tend to be more homogenous. And again, you could have a mayor who does it for a period of time, but I'm talking like longer term you know how and i'm i'm really i'm i really would want to be actually proven wrong i would love someone to show me a city where they've invested in that for more than say 10 years and we're actually seeing right. progress that's that's what i'm excited about that's what i want to i want to i want to work on cities that are doing that yeah yeah awesome so, yeah. You so, <laughs> no, that was good that was good so we're going to do a little pivot here before mm -hmm. going to the final four questions that smiley mentioned earlier so if so you were fortunate in that at a young age, you went to a school that helped cultivate your interest in uh, pursuing the arts, supported you in the arts and um, engineering. And you've been able to successfully live that mm. life um, to date. Mm. But if those two options didn't exist, what would you do? What would you be doing today? If you weren't, if you weren't doing anything in the arts and you weren't doing anything in engineering, what, what kind of career path would you have chosen? What alternate career path? What would I have chosen? Huh. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. I think I would... I'm not going to default say I would have been an astronaut, but I think... I, <laughs> no, no, but I think I would have done more in astronomy, to be honest. I... And I think as much as I have this like amazing introduction um, to both these worlds, I was still really insecure about doing math, even though I worked my butt off to do it. And I remember I was always in, I was, I wanted to be in the, in like really challenging math classes, but I still, even I think about math tests back in like eighth grade and I get a little anxious, <laughs> but I, I was, so I think if I would had sort of, you know, either a kick or a hug, like you can do this. Like, don't worry about math. Like you'll, you'll master it. And if you won't, we'll help you. Like, I think if I had just told myself that, or like, I, I do feel like I would have taken some more risks with math and just seeing now, mm. like just how 
prolific it is in so many mm. aspects of our work and it's not separate from the arts. So I think that's the cool thing I love about physics mm. and astronomy is that you know, when you get into some real like, you know, Stephen Hawkins, like quantum theory, you're getting into where yeah. those two things are like, you know, mixing, but it's still, I think the foundation for so much of the you know, exploration of our universe and you know where we are. So that's what I would, I think that's what I would have done. Or okay. I, as a child, or, I just wanted to be a conductor. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Musician conductor. Okay. Oh, that's good. That's a good clarification. Uh, music. I think okay. I just liked the idea of being in front of a big orchestra. And I, yeah. I, I for me, that if you if you've been if you've seen the symphony or if you've seen an opera yeah. and just any like place where you've had a massive big band, it's like being on a cruise ship, like proper engines, you know. And so that's something as a child, I think as well. Well, I, I don't want awesome. to. I don't want to challenge what you're saying, but I, I think you are because Try. I, watched, I watched one of your YouTube videos, and you had on this amazing red dress with some black things across it, and you were conducting. And I'll see if I can do it as well. Dig oh, okay. It, dig it in the doo doo. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not a good conductor because I said dig it, dig it, do, dig it, doo doo, and you're. <laughs> Dig a dig a do, dig a do. I love it. So, 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 Karina, Karina, I'm, I'm dying. I'm so glad he did that. So he's telling me about it. He was like, Dre was awesome. The crowd was into it, this and that. And so I'm glad he brought it up because I, I, I want to know what you were actually saying. I'm sure it wasn't dig a do. So, 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 so we are in your audience. Your audience. Yeah, you and uh, we're gonna we're gonna follow you. Call and response. So so tell us what to say for dig a dig a do. What is that the actual word? Yeah, yeah. No, this is it. This is. Oh, I thought he was joking. I thought he was joking with me. No, he wasn't. Okay. This is an old Lindy. This is an old swing song, and it's it's awesome. I thought he was scat, me. Okay. scat language, so you can get folks, okay. you know, into scat or it's just it's syllables and it. I love it. Yeah, I mean. You could use actual words. Like if I say it don't mean a thing, you say if it ain't got that swing, you know. Right. Or, Call and response. So we go like, so we can try it. So, or if you can. Let's try it. Let's try it. Let's do a little practice first. A little practice. Okay. Let's do a practice um, first. Okay. So let's say do what, do what, do what, do what. Do what, do what, do what. Do what, do what, do what, do what. Do what, do what, do what. Okay. Then one more time. And I'm going to say do what, 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 do what. So I'm gonna say if it don't mean a thing and you say if it ain't got that swing. Okay. It don't mean a thing. If you ain't got that swing. Do yeah. <laughs> it's harder with Zoom. It's harder with Zoom because it's a little like not Zoom with, with, with the way and all that. Yeah. I, I heard that. When I saw you conducting that on the on the it was a long one. I mean it was about a four and seven minute uh YouTube video and the whole crowd was singing and, and that's like I love it. It was a dig and dig a do. I've never I heard I love it. the walk, but I've never heard of the dig and dig a do, but uh, yeah. I love it. So it's, it's, actually, it's actually simpler. It's like dig a dig a do dig a do do, and then you repeat the same thing. Dig a dig a okay. do. So the call and response. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. It. Thanks for explaining that because I know when I was brutally destroying it, singing it to Andre, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, 
like, no, I saw this on YouTube. YouTube is a source of facts now. So it is 100% source of facts. Um, it's funny. That one was, that's an incredible jazz club in, in Greenwich in London. Um, called Oliver's. So if you if you're if you're ever in London, we'll go. Awesome. Um, that was a magical night. It was like the it was the week before like Omicron hit in London. So like everyone was like, are we really gonna cancel Christmas? Everyone's like, let's go uh, out. <laughs> yeah. Anymore. Yeah. So people were up for right. it, you know. Awesome. Well, well what I want to do is I'm gonna move in the final four, alive or dead, if you were to have dinner and there's three other people sitting at your table, who would you have at your dinner table, alive or dead? And who and why? Oh, okay. We're starting with Tina Turner first. Oh, okay. okay. Such an inspiration. Um, so many things about her. But I think she was the first person who explicitly said, "I will." And my dance cost, my costumes need to be versatile so I can dance. And so that's something I definitely want to talk to her about. Um, I also, I would say Aretha Franklin. It's mm, cool. For obvious reasons. Um, but I think the image or the memory of her walking across, you know, the, the stage at the Kennedy Center, mm. um, and just like dropping her fur coat. I mean, yeah, like that yeah. just really was yeah. like, yeah. game over. Like, game, game over. over. Game over. I am came. Sure. I am Saul. I am conquered. Right. I've conquered. Yeah. 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 And I would say my dad's mother. My my dad's mother. Um, her, and I met her once um, mm -hmm. when I was in high school. We'd gone to Ghana. And I, I we didn't travel as often, to be honest, to Ghana as when I was a child as I would have, I would have, would have loved. So I didn't have the same connection to like all of my my dad's relatives, the ones who weren't living in the U.S. Say than I do with mm. my mom's family, who basically mm. we all live in the same same area. And I mean, my grandmother, she she only spoke her mother tongue, like she didn't speak English, even despite Ghana mm. being a an English colony, British colony. Um, but she was able to convey to me just what, how, how how proud she was, and also in terms of hair, like giving me tips. <laughs> she was looking at my dad. I mean, my hair was right. not, I didn't I hadn't perfected the art of caring for my my natural locks at that point. So yeah, it was also a bit of like you need to do something. <laughs> right, 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 I, right. I, I again I, I leave with this note because uh, when I leave, at least this question. She was the eldest in her family, like me. But traditionally, I mean, she had to stay home after she went through mm. elementary school to look after her younger siblings. So, I mean, I just always am not humbled, but anytime I feel a little bit down or demotivated, I'm like, you know, my grandma could have gone to school and could have become, you know, so many different things. And I have this chance, you know, I, I, I would love to just have her in community with, with myself and Aretha and Tina, um, because I, I think in some ways, while it's sad, it's also like getting your your the generations to come ready. Um, so mm. yeah, that's my table. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, nice. Have you um, you mentioned your grandmother? Have you read uh, Trevor Noah's Born a Crime? What'd you think? 
I got goosebumps just you reminding me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good book, good book. Um, here's the next question. So uh, to date, what's been your greatest success, professionally or personal? Either arena. Yeah. Gosh, the doctorate was hard, I have to say. <laughs> And I say that it's not, it's, I don't regret it by any means. I don't always, we probably wouldn't always recommend it. Um, but yeah. for me, it was the biggest, um, the longest duration. So it's about four years working on mm. the, the same thing. And like, literally that was the art of showing up honestly, even mm. when you don't feel like it. And so that for yeah. me is, and no one can take that away, which I, that's really important. But I think personally, you know, I was doing excited about my goals for this year. It was like, you know, being reflective in January. I'm like, what do I want to do that's different? And to be honest, like I'm in a place where I'm, you know, I have momentum. I'm enjoying, I'm not, I'm not settling. I'm not slowing down, but I do feel like I'm really excited that I'm, I'm, I'm at, I'm content with these two worlds that I'm in. And I want to actually make sure that you know, my siblings, my nephews, that, you know, the people around me are also getting to share in, in the success. Mm. So that's, I've, I'm happy that I'm in that space where like, that's as important for me as, as doing well. Um, mm. My little nephew, he was like, Karina, I want to go on an airplane. And I was like, we're going to go on an airplane. <laughs> yeah, that for awesome. me was like, wow. Like, you know, I'm yeah. excited that that, that is top of mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So here's one. Um, what is your superpower? Something that's uniquely you. Gosh, I don't want to steal Dre's like, you know, read in the room. But <laughs> <laughs> it didn't be anything. We had one representative yeah. said it was his, his ability to connect. Another one said his empathy. Another yeah. said uh, I walk through walls when I dream. It's like, oh, but, listen, <laughs> but listen, if, if your power is reading the room, you mm. know, we, that's something we have in common. Whatever yeah. it happens to be. And I would say like, moving, and I have a very, very a dear friend and dancer that I admire. And her name is Christine Chisinska. And she's a just incredible academic thinker. And she used this quote of her father's was that like, move good, be good with people, like move good with people. And I think that's also, that is definitely my superpower. And I, I would emphasize move because I think of all the things I do when I dance is definitely when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with the universe spheres. I'm with my ancestors. Like if I, there's, mm. there's a few, on my Instagram, I've tagged a jam session where I'm dancing and I honestly, I don't even go to a trance, but I, 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 I read the room while I'm dancing. And that is every aspect of how I improvise. So that's definitely like, even like with singing or doing, you know, science channel stuff. I mean, even my partner and my family, they're like, when you dance, it's literally like, you know, not just like, oh, you're so good at dancing. It's more like I'm feeling everyone in that room as mm. well as what the story I want to tell. And I think that's definitely a superpower for sure. Awesome. For sure, yeah, yeah, So if you were to write a autobiography, what would the title be? Move Good With People. I like it, I like it. I like it. Move Good With People. <laughs> I'm actually, this is good, I need to say it out loud because one of the things I'm noticing is when you set goals too that are a little bit out of your comfort zone, um, you need to say it out loud so people hold you accountable. So I wouldn't. I'm not writing an autobiography or a memoir, but I am. I am really challenging myself to write more 
So I, okay. I essentially want to do, you know, a 12, a 12 track um, album, but that each one has a written story that goes with it. So I, I thought like, oh, I want to write a book. And I'm like, Karina, like, let's take this in chunks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I yeah, find yeah, it easy yeah. to like describe the story behind songs or, you know, describing memories through music. Um, so yeah, I would say that, pro that probably the title will be Move Good With People. So yeah, I'm okay. going to have to write. I ha now I have to write it because I said it out loud to you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's documented. It's in the cyberspace. It's now. documented, yeah. Well, well, thank you for answering the final fours. But before we let you go, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you wanted to say or you wanted to share or that we should have asked you? Oh, gosh. I mean... You've given me a lot. I was taking notes. Like I need to like, you know, lean into some of these questions over the next year. Um, but no, I'm really excited. I think if you or your listeners have ideas or I'm also mindful, we put as creatives a lot of things out into the world and it's not about asking for feedback necessarily, but you also want to have that interaction. So, you know, I think folks who are you know interested in anything I've shared, um, or any of the names of people who I've shared in their work. I, I just encourage folks to, to check that out. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're in London, come see a show. If you're watching this, visit, let us know. <laughs> like, um, you, mentioned, you mentioned Instagram. What's yeah. your Instagram uh, handle? Yeah, Karina Kwame Music on Instagram. Um, Karina Kwame on Facebook, Twitter, um, LinkedIn as well. I have one for, you know, sort of the... The Dr. Karina Jobs, and then for music, you know, dance and talks, I have my name, Karina Kwame, um, and the website is karinakwame.com. So you can't go wrong; they're easy to get to. But give us a follow. Um, it's all about social media and, and and connecting, as well as you know these kinds of talks that I'm having with you guys today. Well, I'm, I'm going to pass it back to uh, Smiley in a second. I just wanted to say, Karina, it's been great having you on our podcast learning everything about you, learning more about sustainability, learning about uh, more about the arts, that type of thing. Um, thanks for taking the time out to uh, to be on the podcast. I want to thank you mostly. I, I, when I sent out the email, it was, a, it was a Hail Mary email, and I didn't know if you were going to respond. And, and I was like, I was so, I want to thank you for being a superstar, responding to my little request to be on the podcast. We really enjoyed you sharing your ideas, your experience, and your amazing life with our listeners. Thanks again for being on the Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle podcast. My pleasure. My pleasure. This is great. Thank you.